I'm Laura Max Rose, mother of two, and you're listening to Look Ma No Hands, my candid dispatches from the front lines of motherhood. I ask the real, tough, honest questions on motherhood-related topics that we're all wanting to know more about, in hopes it will make everyone's journey fulfilling, easier, and more joyful. If you're not a mom, welcome. I want you to know how happy I am that you're listening and that these topics can be applied to any season of life. I'm grateful you're along for the ride. Welcome back to Look Ma No Hands. I am here with repeat guest Elizabeth Miller, psychotherapist of Elizabeth Miller Therapy. Welcome back to the show, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me. Well, I have been dying to talk to you because I think both of us agree that during this coronavirus pandemic, one thing that is becoming increasingly overlooked is the mental health of everybody, Americans, um, which we'll be talking about in this episode. I'm noticing this tendency to, as, as this progresses, we're talking less and less about how Americans are coping. And the statistics are really only getting worse. Whereas about 37% of Americans showed any sort of depressive symptom from mild to severe. Um, right now, it's just about half. It's about 49%. There's a Zoloft shortage. Um, people are feeling an extreme amount of anxiety and further evidence of a health mental health crisis is being reported every day, but we're not really talking about why that is, ways for us to cope, and how we got here in the first place. It actually almost seems a little bit taboo to bring up because the reason for the mental health crisis is clearly the fact that most of us have been in quarantine or isolation for a prolonged period of time. There's an extensive amount of grief being felt right now, and all of that as a result of trying to keep each other ideally safe. So when it's brought up, there's always that shame aspect, which you and I were talking about before we got on this recording. Um, you know, this is something we need to be doing. We need to be isolating so people feel as though they can't really discuss how challenging that is on the other side. But as you've mentioned to me off the air and we'll continue to discuss on the air, it's a very important conversation that we need to be having. So yes, Elizabeth, yes. So you just had a baby. <laughs> yes, I did. April 24th. Pandemic, April 24th <laughs> into the into the pandemic. Not only yes. are you in the newborn stage, but you're also quarantined. And the reason why I had you on the show is not just because that's a very unique perspective, which I want to hear more about, but also I appreciate that you're not just a voice that's echoing so many others right now. Um, you're probably the first person on my Instagram to call out that we need to have a discussion about the wellness wheel, um, which you bring up a lot. So right now we're only covering one aspect of the wellness wheel, which is our environment, and we're leaving out the other seven. So I'm going to let you elaborate on that and perhaps explain why we might want to adopt an alternative perspective on how we're viewing this crisis and taking crisis and taking care of ourselves in it. Sure. Well, I'm just so grateful, you know, to be here and to be talking about this because, um, like you said, you know, we're not really talking about it. And so I think the more we talk about, um, you know, health in general and, you know, the overall wellness wheel, like you mentioned, um, I think the more we talk about it, the more we can have conversations and go deeper into, you know, this idea of fear and ownership, um, and how they're interrelated in, in relationship to our health. Um, and so the medicine wheel that I, you know, I'm a psychotherapist. I work with people all day long. You know, I'm supposed to be on maternity leave. Um, but the reality is right now is that people are suffering, people are struggling and I'm getting so many calls every single day because people are saying, you know, 
I'm good, but I need help because of the circumstances that are going on. Um, you mentioned that a friend of yours is a psychiatrist with like a three month long wait list right now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I just spoke to her and she was saying that her wait list is growing and growing, um, as is mine. And I think that just really shows that people are suffering right now. And I think in addition to that, because of the current culture that we're living in and the current climate we're living in, people are struggling with the idea of even talking about their own needs. Um, You know, a lot of the things on the media have been about, you know, you need to take care of other people. Um, But what we haven't heard is how can we actually take care of ourselves? How can we take ownership of our own health during this time? Um, And that's kind of where I use my voice um, to really try to normalize that just because we are in the middle of a pandemic, our basic needs don't change. Um, Well, it's amazing. I mean, that's, that's a voice. It feels like a soft, warm blanket, just even hearing that because that entire narrative, which is a narrative that I used to be so in touch with, I feel like just three months ago, even for me, has started to fade away. The narrative in our country is really much more shame-based right now, um, which you and I are going to get into a discussion about. And the idea that any of us might have any needs on our own, unless we are diagnosed with the coronavirus, has really been non-existent, um, which is unbelievable if you think about it, because Mm -hmm. um, the fact that any of us would be handling this normally when it's a completely abnormal foreign event to any of us is just totally absurd. Um, And we need that. I mean, there's a Zoloft shortage right now. Mm -hmm. Literally, people can't get Zoloft and people who need it. So um, what are some of the alternative ways that we could really be viewing what's going on right now in a perfect world? and how we can really care for ourselves through it. And why are we struggling as much as we are with isolation? What is it about us as human beings that has created this sort of collective anxiety and depression during this time? Well, and I think that's a really good set of questions. And I think the first thing I just want to touch on is, you know, when we look at this medicine wheel that I use, um, when we talk about health, um, it's from Vanderbilt University. And the components of it are environment, food and nourishment, movement, exercise, and play, daily rhythm and balance, spirit and soul, mind-body connection, relationships and community, sleep and rest. And right now, we are really only focused on environment, social distance, keep away from everyone else. You know, you know, don't go outside, don't do this, don't do that. Um, and if you do, oh my gosh, you are hurting other people. Um, and so most of us, you know, most of my clients and I know most of everyone I know is not, are not sleeping well because we're living in fight or flight just because of all we're inundated all day long with different things of what we should be doing. We're inundated with shame, um, for living our lives in even a restricted way. Um, we already are living our lives in a restricted way. And on top of that, we're being shamed for it. Um, is there any use for that shame? Is there is there any is there ever a use for shame? We're used to hearing shame as a negative connotation, but here we are. We're trying to save other people's lives. So how do we negotiate that? You know, I think as as a collective culture, we have used historically we have used shame and fear um, as a method of trying to change a situation. Um, whether it's in our home life, our work life, you know, all of these things. And what we know with, it's very substantiated from research is that shame does not lead to change. Um, In addition to that, it actually is detrimental and divides us. And so while I think that may be the only tool that some of 
us feel like we have to change others or control others, or maybe even control ourselves, right? Our inner critic shames us all the time for different things, even outside of a pandemic. Um, At the end of the day, it does not lead to change. And it really is detrimental to our community and our relationships. Because at the end of the day, when we're shaming others, um, we're pushing people away. And so we're actually isolating ourselves even more Um, psychologically, in addition to separating our, in a time when we're separating ourselves physically as well. I'm hearing a lot more people and myself very much included in this saying, you know, I'm, I I can't get on social media right now. I mean, I've even watched my husband, you know, he's like gone from being pretty engaged on social media to like just having to take breaks because it's so overwhelming. And I completely identify with that. And I keep asking myself, what is it that's overwhelming me so much? And I think it's the way that opinions are being shared in a way where I can't even necessarily process what it is that I feel about something without, because I've already read about five times that I should feel a different way and just the delivery. And I think there's a reason for that. If you, I'd love to know if you agree or disagree that because we are all in such a vulnerable situation right now, and we all are so afraid there's this need to have an other, this need to blame, this need to hold another person um, accountable or to to feel angry about a situation that, you know, for the most part, we're completely powerless over the fact that we're in a pandemic right now. So um, immediately, sort of as human beings, I think we have this, there, there's something about our nature, we want to blame somebody, hold somebody accountable for that. Well, and you're exactly right. And, you know, this goes back to this dichotomy of fear versus ownership. And fear and ownership don't really live together. And it's very easy to live in fear during a time of a pandemic. It's easy to live in fear when we're being inundated with messages of what we should and shouldn't be doing, what we should and shouldn't be feeling, right? That ignites our central nervous system and turns off our vagus nerve, right? It it, it puts our bodies into a state of fight, flight, or freeze. And really, the stay-at-home order is asking our bodies and minds and central nervous system to just freeze. Um, and so if we're really talking from a context of fear, you know, that shame voice is really going to come out heavy. Um, and if we're talking from an ownership voice, that takes a lot of personal work to be able to sit down and say, whoa, how can I take ownership of myself, my health and my environment right now? And how can I encourage others to, you know, come alongside me? That's a very different conversation than, you know, some of the memes that are showing up right now of who raised you, you know, who raised you if you're leaving your house. I mean, I I, I just saw a meme like that. Um, I've and seen not only is those directed towards parents as well. Like there was oh. one um, very disappointed recently in the blog Scary Mommy, which I actually unfollowed. Happy to share that here with my audience. Mm-hmm. I felt like the shaming that was going on around, yes, you know. There was a meme shared that said, yes, I'm staying home with my kids for the next two years if it takes that long to get a vaccine. And like, if you aren't, you can just unfollow me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, first of all, what an oppor- what a privilege that you can do that because most uh-huh. people can't. Right. And secondly, that's you're making a choice. There is a huge risk out there, an environmental risk that we could get the coronavirus and spread it to others. There are also mental health factors that many people, myself very much included, wouldn't be able to cope with staying inside for two years with my child, with my children. Or even a day or a month, right? Yeah. And and that and and having it all of a sudden looked at, I mean, when we were having like the breastfeeding versus bottle feeding conversation among mothers, Mm -hmm. at least, at the very least, um, it wasn't being 
you know, we might've been shaming each other privately, but Mm -hmm. out in the social media stratosphere, there wasn't like, if you're not going to do this, like, you know, go screw yourself. Like breast milk is better for your kid. So we're really seeing that now. And I, I think I know I'm reacting to it. I think I see a lot of other moms reacting to it. I have friends send me memes like that and say, what do you think about this? Like what, what should we really be doing? And it's a very sensitive subject. And many of us are making decisions that aren't that extreme, especially, um, in the way of isolation, if we do have young children and some of us are, and that's okay. If that's something that you feel comfortable with, but the way that we are being so vocal about shaming each other's choices right now in a time of crisis, everyone is really doing the best that they can. We seem to have really lost sight of that. I think because of the pressure that we're under collectively. Oh my gosh. And you know, it goes back to that idea of our needs don't change just because we're in the middle of a pandemic. And I I've said that so many times, I feel like throughout this, this whole thing is that, you know, all these other parts of the wellness wheel don't just get canceled out. Like we still need sunlight. We still need vitamin D. You know, we know what stress does on our body. Um, so even outside of a pandemic, you know, as Americans, we typically, a lot of us are leading pretty hectic lives. Um, our culture encourages that. And then you throw on a, you slap on a pandemic to that. Oh my gosh, our immune systems are just crying out for some, you know, regularity and just to be nurtured and nourished. Um, and you're right. I think that the shame, it divides us. It does not allow us to actually come together and have real conversations, much less, um, you know, to your point on the scary mommy, um, article, you know, the needs of children and the needs of adult and the needs of our elderly population and the needs of our special needs population, you know, they're all different and it does no, it serves no one to collective, to put everyone in the same boat collectively. Um, it completely denies individual needs. You know, I work a lot with mothers and people who experience chronic illness and their sets of needs are just going to be very different than, um, someone who's in the elderly population or the toddler population. And so we have to highlight, we have to start talking about, you know, what are our individual needs because well, so they I matter. Think about that. I, mean, I think about the people who are coming to you and they have a precondition perhaps. So they maybe have a subtle awareness that they shouldn't be listening to everything that the media is telling them mm-hmm. because they're, they have special circumstances. But what about the people who don't know that they have special circumstances? I mean, many people who are predisposed to depression and anxiety, they don't really necessarily know that or consider that um, for various reasons. And so here we are in this situation and you and I were discussing before we started recording that there's this tendency to place the blame on ourselves. What I keep seeing and what I keep seeing even in myself is there's already this assumption that there are certain people that know how to do this right, that know how to survive a pandemic somehow joyfully or without as much strain. But really, that's completely nonsensical and illogical. And that everybody, this is going to be a struggle for everyone. And the blame belongs, doesn't belong on ourselves at all. But that that is our tendency as human beings is to think, well, what could I be doing differently? It's why I've been so, you know, I told you before we started recording again that I did this interview yesterday where I was giving some guidance for, you know, mental health maintenance in a pandemic. And after I got off of the interview, I kept thinking like, "Mm, I I don't, was I careful enough to say that, yes, these are tools that we all have. These are things that we can use to make our days easier. These are tools that I use to make my day easier, but I always use them with this understanding that these are not normal times and that this undercurrent of pure grief that I feel. I mean, I feel grief. I drive down the street and restaurants that are closed that will never open again. Life as we knew it will never be the same again. And I'm feeling that constantly that that 
belongs there, that, that that's a normal feeling to have. I'm not trying to erase that. Um, that's just part of the package of what's going on right now. It is. And your feelings, just like anyone listening, is are legitimate and valid and real. And just because we're in a pandemic and people around you are shaming you does not discount your real experience and your your basic needs. And I cannot say that enough. I just feel like I, I have to keep saying that out loud that, you know, we are meant to be social beings. We are meant to be connected to others. And we know that our immune systems and our whole body and mind do not operate optimally if we don't have our basic needs met and if we don't have the social, emotional, and physical needs met. Um, so here's a million dollar question then. What are some of the ways that we can meet our emotional and physical needs in this time? Well, if I'm going to dial it way back, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I think just like I said earlier in this, you know, conversation, by asking us to be at home, um, we're really, they're really asking us to be in a freeze mode. Don't go to work. Don't do your normal activities. And on top of that, be fearful. Um, and what we know that about that is fight, flight, or freeze, first of all, lowers our immune system and leads to other clinical symptoms like depression, anxiety, um, OCD, things like that. And so what we first need to do is be aware of how our bodies and minds are responding to this particular time. Um, you know, homelessness is up, um, drastically, um, people's basic needs are not met. Um, a majority of, a majority of people, um, their basic needs are not being met right now. And so it can be very difficult to add on other things. But one of the things that we can do is really get in touch with, are we in fight, flight, or freeze? Um, what we know is that when we're in fight, flight, or freeze, like I've said, we get depressed, we get anxious, we get um, that inner critic voice gets really, really loud and we start to shame others. Mm -hmm. And so I think the big thing that we can all do is take a step back, sit down and take ownership of our own experience, take ownership of our own health by looking at this medicine wheel, right? We haven't been able to connect with others in a way that a lot of us need. Um, and so if we start with that mind-body connection, just getting in touch with where we are, if we find ourselves just wanting to deflect, deflect, deflect on others, i.e. shaming others, you know, take a deep breath and really examine where your fear is coming from. Um, and getting adequate sleep and rest. Um, it's really hard to get adequate sleep and rest right now. A lot of people are, you know, sharing that they're just laying in bed watching the news or laying in bed looking at social media. And a lot of times we have a lack of awareness of what that actually does to our body and what it does to our central nervous system. Um, and so just allowing ourselves to eliminate um, artificial light. So that includes screens. Um, that includes a lot of media, um, particularly in the second half of the day. Um, if we can reach out to people like friends, family, um, all of us have to assess our own individual risk. Like I said, it does no good for us to collectively make rules for every single person. Um, you know, people are in different boats. And so just like, you know, I have two children, their needs are going to be very different than my needs or our grandparents' needs. And so taking a step back and allowing us to identify what our family's needs are 
um, Mm -hmm. and seeing if we can meet them in some way. And I think the other aspect to this is get moving, move your body, find time to connect with others, find time to move your body, get some vitamin D from the sunlight. You know, we're in Houston. We have this beautiful gift of sunlight. Um, use it. I mean, I'm not, listen, I always joke that like I have an allergy to cardio. It's not my thing. (laughs) I have never wanted to get on a spin bike more in my life. Like twice. it's just been like this craving. I mean, my friend owns define body and mind, which is a local Mm-hmm. Um, a local fitness studio in Houston. And I've been texting him like, when are you going to start open spin <laughs> yes. class again? Like, I will be there. Um, the answer is next week, by the way, if you are interested in joining me, but I, I just like, I'm like, I need, I need the endorphins. I've been doing jumping jacks around my house. I've never been so aware of how much like I hold this stress and pain in my body. And in order to change the way that I feel, I have to change the way that my body feels. Mm-hmm. And I'm, still and slow enough, I guess right now to really be in touch with that. And we really do, we need to move. And I think the whole thing is like, you know, we're in quarantine, we're isolated and we have Netflix and that's Mm -hmm. great. But, um, a lot of the, I mean, sitting on your, sitting on your couch and binge watching like eight episodes of Netflix is going to make you feel depressed. I mean, unless you're like superhuman, um, it's not, it's not going to necessarily help on top of that. Um, alcohol rates are skyrocketing. So we've changed all the laws around alcohol use um, in the pandemic so that restaurants can survive. And on top of that, the race, the rates of use of alcohol are, you know, the, the theme of most memes, which make me laugh. I mean, like I'm a human, so I get it and I totally Mm -hmm. understand, but what are we going to do in the aftermath when, you know, alcoholism leads to depression and it's not something you can just turn off and we're acting like it is. Well, and I think you hit two really good points, right? When you were talking and the first thing is energy can't be created or destroyed. It has to be moved. And so Mm. we are all so highly charged right now with so much energy just because we're inundated with so much stuff. And on top of that, we have internal and external factors, right? Um, We have our own inner voice and we have our own um, inner critic that yells at us and talks to us all the time, especially if we're depressed. Um, That's very loud. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that's important to just note. And then I think you just touched on the other aspect of this wellness wheel of food and nourishment. (laughs) We know, how are we supposed to fight a virus or a pandemic um, if we are just chugging alcohol and eating crap foods? Um, Yeah, like literally. We're not really taking ownership of our health in in a way that would serve us. No, we're not. And I, I've mentioned this on several podcast episodes prior to this, and I'm, I'm going to do like a solo episode on it as well. But I stopped drinking before the coronavirus hit because I had grown concerned with my own use of alcohol prior, which I was joking to my husband yesterday, this author who I interviewed, her name's Claire Pooley. I inter- she's the author of The Sober Diaries. She was mm-hmm. talking about how when you tell people that you were having some sort of struggle with alcohol. They imagine you pouring vodka on your cornflakes in the morning. I was not pouring vodka on my cornflakes, nothing even close. (laughs) But I was starting to um, question my relationship and the way that I was using it to get through events in my life in a way that was unproductive and was harming me. So I realized when the pandemic hit, you know, I'm going to be stuck in my house with a bunch of wine Mm -hmm. and there's going to be nothing stopping me from drinking as much of it as I can to try to get through this. And it is going to be so destructive and I know myself and I have a predisposition to depression and it's not going to end well. So I'm just going to take it off the table as even being an option. And then I'm sitting on my couch and I'm like, well, I'm having all this discomfort and all of this 
pain and all this anxiety right now. And, and how do I deal with it? So I'm looking to my Instagram feed for, for reference. And it's like, okay, everybody is coping with this through drinking copious amounts of alcohol. And I don't blame them. I mean, I, what else are we seeing as a way to cope right now, which is what concerns me so much. Like, I don't think I'm in the majority for having made this choice to have put it aside during such a chaotic time. But I, I, I worry about like, where are we seeing tools that we can actually use um, that can really help us. And I think the reason why we're not seeing as many of them is exactly what you said. It's sort of become taboo <laughs> to do these things that like, yes, there is a huge environmental risk right now, but what are we sacrificing? And I'm just asking the question, um, what are we sacrificing to avoid that risk? And why are we not allowing a conversation about that? Why are we normalizing, completely num numbing ourselves out to stay in like acute isolation when there could be other ways for us to carry on living our lives in a way that serves the whole self. Exactly. And I think you bring up such a good point. And, you know, even non-pandemic, um, I think we glorify using coping mechanisms that long-term don't really serve us very well. Um, and so in a pandemic, you know, everything that we already do in normal American culture is going to be highlighted and exacerbated. And so, you know, I think that goes back to this idea of ownership. And I hear you asking, like, what, what are other coping mechanisms, right? Like, and you are probably in a minority percentage of people actually asking that. Um, yeah. and so I think a lot of people may not even, you know, in, may not even be aware that we have other op other options because there's people we're so inundated right now just with the shoulds. And I mean, yeah. And so what are the coping mechanisms, you know, we can use during this time? And my answer to that is let's go back to that wellness wheel of there are so many things we can be doing. We can be nourishing our body with healthy foods if we have that available to us. Um, a lot of Americans right now don't even have access to quality food. They don't have access to, you know, a lot of the other basic needs like we discussed. But if we do have access, you know, that's a really good place to start. Um, it's a really good place to start just even having conversations of, you know, this doesn't serve me. This doesn't work for me. And it can be very healing to have someone on the other end of the Zoom call, I guess now, or maybe even having a socially distant, you know, whatever, happy hour or, um, you know, lunch or walk to be able to say, gosh, you know, I'm struggling with that too. Mm -hmm. um, but right now we're not talking about, like, we're not, we're not having empathy or compassion for each other. We are having anger. We are experiencing anger and we're deflecting it onto other people. And so I think it's an amazing sense of awareness that you've brought to yourself and you've brought forth to say, you know, alcohol doesn't work for me right now. And that's oh, well, okay. I mean, I have to tell you, like most people, they get sober and then like they're on this pink cloud, right? Cause like they get to go do all these things that they like all, they didn't even want to do before. And all of a sudden, as Claire Pooley said in her book, life is in technicolor. You know, you want to take an acting class or sing or go to the movies and like everything just seems technicolor. And here I am, right? I'm like in this pandemic. And let me just tell you something. I feel oceans of grief constantly. I mean, I cry like more than I've probably ever cried in my life, mm -hmm. but I have, I have this awareness. I feel this certain undercurrent of joy at the same time. And when I think about going and singing again, like I used to in high school or all these things that I've realized I really want to do. I mean, I could just cry tears of joy thinking about how much I miss all of that. 
Um, and I miss, I miss being around people. I'm an extroverted person. I miss other people's energy. I also have this weird feeling that I've heard so many other people discuss, which is that going out into a social situation kind of makes me nervous, which I haven't, you know, I've been out of it for so long. Um, and even having like a one-on-one lunch with someone makes me uncomfortable. And so I'm asking you as the psychotherapist, um, that question, I mean, what do we make of the fact that since we've been in isolation for so long, are we going to be as comfortable getting together at the end of this? What is that going to look like? Well, and to your first point, we have to remember that isolation historically um, is used for as a form of punishment and torture. <laughs> we have to remember that. Like, thank you. We are being tortured. <laughs> um, oh, and like, I, I'm sorry, it is- thing, by the way, just like everyone talks about like validation being so important. <laughs> You're literally like the first person I've heard just say these things out loud. Like, thank you. Like, yes, this is torture. This is yeah. not normal. Yeah. And not. if, if we're not calling our life out as it is, like we are suppressing. And so we're going to just go d- deeper into whatever cycle we're in. And, yeah. you know, my job as a psychotherapist is to help pull out, pull people out of that hole. Like, let's not go deeper. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, cl- let's crawl out of this and find better ways so that we don't fall back into it. Um, and you're right. We are living in fight, flight, or freeze. And um, I apologize. You may be hearing my toddler in the background. <laughs> you know what? I think more episodes than not on the last, almost on no hands recently have that it's, it's apropos. She is okay. She just does not want to take a nap. Um, I promise. But I we it. are we are living in a time of fight, flight, or freeze. And we are going to feel very, very, very awkward around other people when we are living in that state. And mm. so it does go mm. back to that idea that we have to take ownership of our bodies and our minds and our environment because we've been living in this fight, flight, or freeze, um, we know that our bodies and minds are just living in tension. And when we're living in a state of fight, flight, or freeze, it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel awkward to actually be around other people, which is why when we're experiencing anxiety, when we're experiencing depression, or just in general experiencing a, a nervous system overload, we isolate. And so that actually leads to deeper depression and it can lead to more anxiety or more OCD or other symptomology um, that we're just seeing a a consistent rise in. um, Well, that makes sense because I mean, when I'm depressed, I don't want to be around other people. So Mm -hmm. we're all like, we're depressed almost because we haven't seen each other and that's making us not want to see each other. Right. And so I think just being able to talk about that and even if we do, you know, sit down with someone else and we are having a conversation owning that and talking about it. I think that's what's going to get us through, you know, this hump and this, this extended period of time of being in isolation. I do believe, and I want to say this, that I have an enormous amount of hope for our future. Um, in spite of all of this, um, I do believe that we will congregate again and we will do it joyfully and we won't be afraid and we won't feel depressed. Um, but I just, I, I, my concern is with this, this chapter, um, how we get through it is really largely dependent on the resources that we have and the knowledge that we have. And there are just so many who are, um, 
as a result of this of the pandemic, they don't have the financial resources that they had before. You mentioned an increase in homelessness. Mm-hmm. And when we are anxious and depressed, there is a, it's marked by an, an inability to understand that that's not our fault and um, a certain hopelessness that can be all-consuming. And I just want to hold everyone, I think, more responsible, um, our media especially, to covering these issues because these are also a matter of life and death, um, it, it, truly. And, and I mean, we're seeing that and we will continue to see it. And these are important conversations that need to be had. So since you're on a podcast about motherhood and you're now mother times two, <laughs> um, let's talk about something I've been trying to talk about a lot more recently, which is parental mental health right now. Um, what are some of the things you're doing to maintain yours? What are some of the things we can all do to maintain ours, especially when we have littles at home? That's such a great question. And I'm just going to call this out just as it is, you know, I'm a therapist. (laughs) I've had 25 years of personal self-growth and therapy. Um, You know, I have a decade, over a decade of clinical training. I have multiple degrees on human behavior. You know, I have all this stuff and I'm still struggling. So I just want to put that out there to normalize (laughs) that, like, no matter what, um, we are not built for this. Um, and so I just want to normalize that before I even go into anything else. Um, you know, we're not built for this, but the things that we can do to build resiliency during these times, um, are really going back to getting in touch with our basic needs. What are our basic needs? What are the things that, um, when we wake up in the morning, what is that first thing we need to do? Um, what are the, what is our body and what is our mind asking for? Um, you know, I've just noticed personally that I need more sleep during this time. I feel, um, you know, I'm an empath. I'm someone that absorbs energy around me, um, very easily and I get exhausted, um, just existing (laughs) right now in the current climate. And so I've found just personally that I need a lot more rest. I need a lot more sleep, but additionally, just rest, Um, I need to really create space for myself to just be in the moment um, and really ground down. Grounding is something that I've been using multiple times a day, all day long, Um, even just going outside into my backyard barefoot and doing a couple sun salutations. You know, you mentioned jumping jacks, um, just different things to get my body moving. Um, I noticed that I have to have a daily dose of sunlight. I notice that I have to um, really put down my phone. The biggest change that I've felt is, you know, we don't have the TV on in our house. And I, when I'm around my kids, I'm not on my phone. And that just, that's something that's very simple that all of us can do. And we can just take a mindful break um, of any outside energy. Has your screen time use gone up in the pandemic? So in the beginning, it's so funny, you know, I got an alert. I think mine comes in on Fridays and I got an alert at the beginning and I was like, oh my gosh, my screen time was up 40%. Like, no, I was, it was such a wake up call for me. And, um, so I made it a goal for, to, first of all, drop it way back down and, um, also make it less than an hour a day. Because we know that the more we're on screens, the worse we sleep. You know, we are more susceptible to depression and things like that. Yes. 
I can't eat. Okay. Well, I'm inspired. I have set timers <laughs> on my Facebook and Instagram use, uh-huh. which are just like, basically like I hit snooze on the alarm clock essentially. Yeah. But that, that I think, I mean, even hearing you, it's funny. Cause like I use social media probably as like a coping tool. Like my phone is like my thing that I grab when I'm uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I have been using it just so much more, um, in quarantine. And I keep hearing people talking about that. It's like, yeah, you know, it's the way we connect with people, but at the same time, it can be a very depressing mechanism and it's like challenging to know what else to do with ourselves right now. Um, well, there's nowhere else to go. Yeah. And I, I think you bring up a good point and I think it links back to just, you know, the alcohol and coping mechanisms is this idea of escapism. And mm. I'm not going to sit here and say escapism is all bad, right? Yeah. It's our body's way of re re-regulating itself. I'm eating it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, my question that I always pose to myself and to my clients and, you know, anyone willing to have a conversation with me is, are the escapism tools that you're using, are they leaving you feeling refreshed afterwards or are they leaving you feeling depleted? So mm. for example, like if you were to even schedule time to like daydream or schedule time to just let your mind wander um, or schedule time to just like, you know, draw, like, you know, d- color in a, uh, a mandala or something that's escapism. Um, and try new things, try new things to escape the daily stresses and then check in with yourself after you're done and say, well, that was kind of cool. I feel rejuvenated. You know, I drew this cool picture or I listened to a cool podcast or I took a nice hot shower and I feel really good. I let my mind. That is a beautiful piece of advice. Definitely what I needed to hear today. Yeah. I mean, when I, I don't know how you feel, but if I look at my social media for too long, I, I walk away feeling drained. I can tell that. I mean, I, I got on the call with you and immediately I felt like a thousand times happier than I think I felt in a very long time. And I know that's because of where you're coming from. And I, uh, I have been on my phone a lot and it does, it makes me feel, it makes me feel drained, but at, you know, at the same time, I want this connection, which I'm not getting right now. So I'm on it more often, but I mean, yeah, that awareness that we can, we can disconnect if you will, in other ways. Um, and, and really make an effort to do that because I do think it really does. It doesn't contribute to my mental health, um, on any stretch. And especially like, as we're home with our kids, you mentioned that we're more exhausted right now than we have been in a really long time. And I think I know for me, um, that makes being with my children feel more, more energy consuming. Um, it's more challenging, even just like the little things I feel exhausted. I feel just like physically exhausted. And so that increases my tendency to sort of space out and get on my phone. Um, but there, there are other ways that we can do that that might be more productive and that, you know, the benefit of that is that we might feel a little bit better during these times. Yeah. And I think you just keep bringing up such good points and, you know, kids, um, tap into that daydreamy world or that curious mind all day, every day. They don't really even need invitations to do that. Kids can do an activity for hours on end and like, have no idea how much time has passed. Um, so true. We learned so, so much from them. Yeah. And so if, if anything, allow yourself to tap into that curious childlike mind while you're with your kids, like maybe pull out a puzzle and just talk about the puzzle or let your mind go somewhere else while your hands are doing the puzzle. Um, Because your kids are doing that anyway. And so, you know, allowing ourselves to tap into our childlike self um, and, you know, if tapping into our childlike self is really painful for us, that's something that we can explore. 
and we can figure out what's going on, what's holding us back. You know, is it culturally? Is it socially? Is it something internally? Is it my inner critic saying like, you can't, you don't deserve that. But we all, all deserve to be able to live in our childlike mind for portions of the day and live in our curious mind. If we're not living in our childlike or curious mind, we're going to get depressed because we're just in a routine. It's beautiful, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom and your insight. You brighten my day and I'm looking forward to hear, hearing about all the days that you brighten through this episode. Thank you for all that you do and congratulations on your new baby. Thank you. I'm so I, glad uh, I got to be here today. I am so glad you got to be here today too. Thank you all for listening. Um, you've been listening to Look Ma No Hands. I'm your host, Laura Rose. And if you want to learn more about Elizabeth Miller, maybe schedule an appointment with her, you can find her online on Instagram at Elizabeth Miller Therapy. And are you ElizabethMillerTherapy.com? Yes. Okay, fantastic. Go find her there and come back and join us again very soon. I look forward to chatting with you again. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Look Ma No Hands. I'm Laura Max Rose, and you can follow me on Instagram at Laura Max Rose to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and the behind the scenes of my life with my own two daughters. If you like this episode and are enjoying Look Ma No Hands, the best way you can help me spread the word is to leave a review on Apple Podcast. This is the single best way to help me reach a larger audience and share these conversations with everyone who needs to hear them. If you love something you just heard, you can also take a screenshot of the episode and share it on social media. There might be someone you know who needs to hear what you just heard, and that's another great way to make sure they do. Thank you for joining me every week. I'm grateful for each and every one of you. More next time. Mom, 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 mom,